If you will take your Bibles, please, or your phone, or in a moment we'll look up here on the PowerPoint. Matthew chapter 11. Now, I love the word rest. I don't know what it is about that word. It just, it just makes me feel good just to read it, even to say it, rest. I actually even like the word rest better than the word sleep. Because I have found it's possible to sleep, but wake up not rested. <laughs> and honestly, when I sleep, I'm kind of incoherent and out of it. But when you rest, you can actually be quite uh, present in the moment, but still feel very rested. Rest is a wonderful and beautiful things. It's been said that one of the great keys to a successful life is learning that when you get tired, you rest. You don't quit. You just rest. God's rest is so important because when we take time to replenish our spirit, and that's really what resting in the Lord is, when we take time to replenish our spirit, we can serve others from the overflow, not from the leftovers. And so many of us have just spent so much that we hardly can have anything to give. But resting in the Lord allows us to be able to be a blessing to this world. Like David said, my cup just runs over. We're going to talk about that most important time of the day, Selah. How many times in the book of Psalms where you'll be reading along, it'll just say Selah. Someone asked me the other day, what does that word mean anyway? Well, it's a Hebrew word, but it just means rest, pause, stop. David, who had been young and he's old, he'd been around, he said, you know what, isn't so important just to learn to take time to rest. In today's passage, we're going to hear Jesus remind us that genuine rest comes actually while we are serving, strange enough, but the way to really find rest is to serve, serve the Lord. And when we do so, we'll find genuine rest. Well, every man um, in this building will uh, really uh, recognize this little story, talking about learning how to rest. Ed was visiting a local department store with his wife. They had just purchased a piece of luggage and a cooler. Ed was waiting for his wife to finish the rest of her shopping. She was clothes shopping. And he dragged the luggage and the cooler around with him to the shoe department. A clerk asked if he could be of assistance. He said, no, thank you. He said, I'm just waiting for my wife. At that point, the man behind him said, you know, I'm waiting for my wife too. But I never thought of bringing a lunch and an overnight bag with me. <laughs> Bring your cooler. <laughs> Amen. Well, uh, today, may you find God's rest. Let's uh, bow, if you would, for a word of prayer. I know we have some here in the service that might get a little antsy. We do have uh, child care, so that'd be great. Let's all bow for prayer. Father, we thank you and love you. God, would you just meet with us today? Lord, I want so much for everybody to find rest in you. Please, Lord. We sure need you to come alongside of us and teach us today. And we'll thank you for what you'll do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Let's go to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, if you would. And you could look at it here or you can take your Bible. But let's, uh, let's read it together, if you would, please, out loud. 
Matthew chapter 11, and let's read through verse 30. Ready? Begin. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. A few weeks ago, I come upon that verse in Psalm 37 that talked about resting in the Lord. It was such a sweet thought. I began to look at passages in Scripture And the Lord just laid upon my heart to preach a three-week series on resting in the Lord. This is the second of those great passages, Psalm 37, Matthew 11, and the next week, the Lord willing, out of Hebrews chapter 4, where the Bible talks about the true heavenly Sabbath rest. Do you ever get tired? Of course you do. I heard one person said, I'm so tired, my tired is tired. (laughs) Another person said, for a couple years, I've been blaming it on iron poor blood, lack of vitamins, dieting, and a dozen other things. But now I found out the real reason. I am tired because I'm overworked. The population of this country is 237 million. 104 million are retired. That leaves only 133 million to do the work. There are 85 million in school, which leave only 45 million to do the work. Of this, there are 29 million employed by the federal government and We know what that means. That leaves only 19 million to do the work. Four million are in the armed services, which only leaves 15 million to do the work. Take from that total the 14,800,000 people who work for the state and city government. That only leaves 200,000 to do the work. There are 188,000 at any given time in hospitals. That only leaves 12,000 people to do the work. Now there are 11,998 people in prison. That means there's only two people left to do all the work. That's you and me. And you're just sitting there listening to this joke. (laughs) It's true. Life can be really crazy, can it? It's so fatiguing. But thank God we don't have to wait to go to heaven before we find genuine rest. We can find rest now. I actually, uh, kind of strange, but I actually love old cemeteries. I know it kind of sounds funny, but I love to go there and read the the different uh, headstones. And in the older cemeteries, oftentimes you'll find one that will say, rest in peace. But I will tell you, we have discovered, and I know you have discovered too, that it takes more than a headstone that says rest in peace to find peace. In fact, if you don't have peace before you die, I guarantee you, you're putting it on a gravestone is not going to give you rest. In fact, in the book of Revelation chapter 14, it says, those who die without the Lord Jesus Christ have no rest day or night. Now look at this verse in verse 29. It says, you shall find rest unto your souls. And that's a good point because I have found out that when my spirit is rested, it goes a long way at making my body feel a lot better. It's been said that it's not the revolutions 
that wear the machine out. It's the friction. We just need lubricant. And resting in the Lord, taking time to replenish our spirit, is literally a holy oil to our life. Now, in Matthew chapter 11, let me give you the setting. The Lord Jesus Christ is looking up to his God the Father, and he is thanking him for not only his eternal security, but his internal sense of security that God had given him. And then he looked around to the people and he said, if you would like to enjoy that same internal security, you can have it. And he begins this wonderful, uh, and I'll give you these five points that Jesus gives an offer of rest. Let's go to verse 25. First of all, we find the basics of what resting in the Lord really is. Verse 25 and 26, and at that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, it seemed good in thy sight. Genuine rest. Resting in the Lord is something that Jesus said, frankly, even children are often better at finding genuine rest than the intellectual crowd. Nothing wrong with being educated, but the fact is, resting in the Lord is often so simple, so straightforward, that those who are the intellectuals miss it. God gives rest to the child-hearted, not the childish, but those who are childlike. You know, there's something very wonderful in genuinely intellectual about a simple faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And isn't it a blessing to know that you don't have to be educated especially or maybe a person with a lot of gray cells to find a life of genuine rest. And just because one person has maybe some uh, better brain power that I might have, that doesn't mean that they're any closer to God. In fact, the Bible says that you can really know God by just having a childlike faith. Now, in chapter 11 of the book of Matthew, Jesus has been talking to some very bright people, very educated people. And as he's talking to them, these seemingly brilliant people started arguing with him. In fact, even more, they began challenging Jesus concerning spiritual matters. During this speech that he told them, he said, you know what? You guys better be careful because I promise you, you are very close to the unpardonable sin. You, uh, the unpardonable sin is knowing better, but choosing the opposite. And he said, that's why you need, need to stop, settle down here, and become childlike in your understanding of God. Not, uh, not childish, but childlike. And so here's what he says, I thank thee, O Father, to God be all the glory for this amazing truth. Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent. You know, sad but true, the richest people typically in any area are generally not the most godly. Now, certainly exceptions to that rule, but typically that's not the case. People who oftentimes are the greatest scientists, people who are the greatest educators, unfortunately, are often the biggest strangers to the gospel. Why is that? Well, the Apostle Paul gave us a, uh, an idea about that in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 21. It says, the world by wisdom knew not God 
Or maybe I could put the little word its wisdom in there. The world by its wisdom knew not God. Or that the mind of a human has a natural opposition to the gospel. You have to work at having faith. You don't have to work at denying God because the very wisdom of this world by its very nature opposes the gospel. In fact, Paul later when he was writing in his personal epistle to Timothy said this, he said, science, their science, falsely so-called. The word science, of course, comes a word from knowing something. And he said, frankly, they really don't know anything. It's science, but it's falsely so-called. And I have found that to be true, that oftentimes the educated will dig into everything but God. Have you, they'll read book after book, but never have read the Bible cover to cover. And notice what Jesus said. He said, God hides it from the wise, that is, earthly wise, but he has revealed it unto the babes in Christ. And really, history validates this truth. The disciples of Christ, for the most part, were nothing special, nothing very unique about their pedigree. They were not educated especially. They were not scholars. They were not the business people of their day. In fact, after they were preaching with such power in the book of Acts chapter 4, people said, I don't get it. Why are they so successful? They are ignorant men. You remember them talking about them in Acts chapter 4. That's because God has hid the true spiritual things often from the wise and the prudent that is of this world. They've been given great minds by God, but they didn't go any further than that. They could have really sought God with all those grace cells, but in fact, they went as far as good for their mind and then pulled away because they didn't want to get into anything spiritual. But God says he resists the proud. James chapter 4 and verse 6 says, but he gives grace to the humble. There's really no reason, no earthly reason why Peter would be such a powerful minister of the gospel. He was a fisherman. And yet Nicodemus, very educated, also a great Christian, but the Bible did not use him as a disciple. Because God has chosen to reveal the greatest truths often to babes, people who are just simple in their faith towards God. We're told in the book of Matthew chapter 22 that we are to put our mind on the Lord. We are to give our mind to Christ. But you know, the gospel is not contrary to reason. It's just beyond reason. And that's what God, notice what it says here. It says it is revealed. God reveals rest. We can't learn rest. It is revealed to us. It is a gift of the Holy Spirit. That's why people who go down here to the Divinity School at University Pacific, for the most part, miss the rest of God. And honestly, very few actually ever get saved. The gospel is not present there very much. And the reason is because they are trying to learn God instead of letting God be revealed to them through the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, you want rest? And he was talking to these brilliant people. He said, you want rest? Well, it's not going to come by your learning. It comes and it's revealed to babies, to those who are simple, childlike in their faith. Dr. Michael Morority, a great preacher, said simplicity is the answer for people tired and weary. Simplicity is marked by a contented lifestyle that rests in God's grace. It is the commitment to clear out, scale down, and realize the essentials of what we truly need to live well. The intimate search for rest is not found by accumulating more things, but by entering into God's presence 
every single day. That's the basics of rest, is having a childlike faith, letting God reveal it to us by putting aside the things of this world and say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to focus on you. That's the basics. Now, what is the bond of God's rest, or what is the guarantee? Verse 27, all things are delivered unto me of the Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, the he to whom whomsoever the Son will reveal him. Now, in the next verse, verse 28, Jesus is going to give the most amazing promise of peace that he gives anywhere in the gospel. He guarantees that he will lift every burden. He will lift every burden. And Jesus never made a promise that he didn't keep. But now, in this verse, he says, now, how can you know that I will do that? What guarantees, what do you have that that's really what's going to happen? And here's the guarantee, verse 27. He said, as proof of my word, verse 27, all things have been delivered to me of my Father. He basically said, I've got the whole world in my hand. You know, the old uh, black spiritual uh, that said he's got the whole world in his hands is very accurate. He does. And that's what the Bible says. He's got everything under his command. And if that's the case, then he can make anything in this world come to be for our rest. That's what it says in Colossians 1 and verse 17. It says, by him all things consist. Basically, Paul was saying that Jesus is the glue of the galaxies. Everything exists because Jesus is the glue. Do you want proof of that? Just take Christ out of your life, and I will promise you, your life will just explode. It'll blow apart your marriage, your finances. Jesus is the glue for any good life. Does anybody in this room know what gravity is? Do you know what gravity is? Well, actually, you don't. And actually, no scientist on this earth actually knows what gravity is is. Nobody can, nobody knows what it is. Now, many people can explain how it works. Many people can explain what it does, but nobody knows what it is. Well, I'll tell you what gravity is. Gravity is Jesus holding everything together. By him, all things consist. He is the, he is the glue of the universe. He is the gravity. It's only Jesus. And so is his bond. He said, everything has been delivered unto me by the Father. I hold the whole earth together. And because of that, the Father has made me his guarantor. I am his bondsman. And look what he says. No man knoweth the Son but the Father. And neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son. Now we have ambassadors for our country. We have... Uh, the Secretary of State, Rex Tillerson. We have other ambassadors. We have ambassadors to Korea, South Korea. We have ambassadors to just about every nation on the earth. Now, in each case, they have been given instructions. They have been given um, what the, the, the line is that we're, they're supposed to keep. And, but they really don't have any power. That is in the hands of the executive branch. That's the president. They can't sign anything, but by saying, here's what the president wants. But they personally, as an ambassador, have no power. 
Any guarantee they would give us really is only as good as that which is backing them. Jesus said this. He said, when it comes to me, I have the all power to back up everything because I and the Father are actually one. I have everything in my hands. I know the Father. He knows me. We are one. Because of that, there is a great offer that is given to us. And whenever we obey God, the seal of that obedience is his peace. Years ago, there was a submarine that was being tested. It had to remain submerged for many hours. When it returned to the harbor, the captain was asked, how did you fare in that terrible storm last night? How did it affect you? The officer looked at him in surprise and said, storm? I didn't even know there was a storm. You see, the submarine had been so far under the surface of the ocean, it was cushioned from the storm. And I will tell you this, that even though the ocean of our lives may be whipped into huge waves, if we will submerge ourselves in the promises of Jesus, we will have rest from this earth. And that's where our rest comes from. It Rest comes from the promise that God has given. Notice now, number three, the beginning of God's rest. The beginning of it. Where did it start? Verse 28 is going to tell us for 6,000 years of human history, men and women have been trying to find inner peace. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Mankind have been trying to find peace. Women have been trying to find peace. They have the idea that money will give them peace, or maybe a relationship will give them peace, or maybe a different job will give them peace. So many people are so mixed up about peace. I can remember one day a man sitting in my study. As part of the conversation, he detailed all the things that he possessed. He was really quite well-to-do. His children had all grown. His wife was a nurse. He had a job as an engineer or something. And uh, he had homes. He drove up outside with a big, beautiful Corvette. And I mean to tell you, he had just everything you can imagine. But the one thing he didn't have, and as he was talking to me, as he was telling about all these things he had, all of a sudden he just broke. Tears just streaming down his face. And he said, but pastor, I don't have any peace. I don't have any peace. He had bought the concept that's so often sold by everybody, you know. Man, if you want to have joy and happiness and peace, man, just get this much money. I was reading in Psalm 39 this morning. It says people heap up riches for themselves and don't even know who's going to get it when they die. We're so crazy. We think we're going to have this. And he thought this would happen the truth of the matter is, is he and his wife are having such terrible problems. He was addicted to gambling. And the truth is, the Bible says in Isaiah 57, verse 21, there is no peace to the wicked, saith my God. Money can buy almost anything, but it's never one time bought happiness. It can take you almost anywhere, but money has never taken anybody to heaven. Sometimes people think a doctor can prescribe peace to them. Or go to a psychiatrist or a psychologist and it would lead them into peace. And we're thankful for any physician. We're thankful for any medication that might help people. But I'll tell you one thing. God is the peace giver. 
I was uh, talking with a guy this week, and he uh, hurt his knee, and uh, I was talking to him a little bit, and he said, but I'm going to go home, and uh, he had just told me he was a, he was a multi-level marketer for some, for some uh, medical company, and he said, I'm going to go home and put this around my knee. He said, it'll be just good as new. He was trying to sell me something, you know. And I, I, I did everything within me not to say, you know, isn't that amazing? You don't even need God. All you need is your little rap, and you'll be fine. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. No rap ever healed anybody. No medicine ever healed anybody. And no procedure ever healed anybody. Only God is the healer. Now, he may use those things, but I'll promise you, God is the peace giver. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. He said, it is time to renounce. It is time to just uh, put away anything that stands in in competition to our Lord. He said, you're laboring. It's work. It's work. I see some of these homeless guys out here. I mean, they're out at Six o'clock in the morning looking for tin cans. I'm thinking, good night. You could be home in a, in a house if you just go get yourself a job and have a, you know, you don't have to be out. I mean, then they go by. They're out 11 o'clock at night still working. I'm thinking, man, the devil just sold them a bill of goods. I, you're laboring. You're laboring. I will give you rest. Jesus owns genuine rest. It is only his to give. Nobody can give you rest. I think it's a wonderful thing to be married. It's an amazing. I'm very grateful. But I will tell you, just having a mate doesn't give a person rest. Having money doesn't give a person rest. Having health doesn't give a person rest. It is a gift from God. Jesus said, I give it to those who will stop laboring and start trusting. And that's where rest comes from. I read recently about a man in the pine country of West Georgia. He was left a farm, family farm, as an inheritance in that beautiful wooded area. His parents had passed away, and he was an adult single man, and he fretted and fussed. It was just too much work. He stressed over what to do with that farm, worried, and did everything but just pray and give it to God. Finally, a timber company came by, offered him $60,000, ludicrous, small amount of money, and the guy took it just to be rid of the problem. That timber company turned around and milled all that wood, got five times what, that, what they had paid for. Unbelievable. The man sold the farm. The man sold the farm. And I will tell you, the devil will try to get us to sell the farm. He wants us to sell our integrity and and to sell our soul and to find peace in a bottle or to find peace in marijuana. And he tries to get us to sell our soul and sell the farm. And I'll tell you one thing, don't sell the farm, brothers and sisters. Don't sell the farm. Don't give anything for that inheritance that Jesus wants to give us. That's true peace. The basics of God's rest, the bond of God's rest, the beginning of God's rest, and then number four this morning, the blueprint of God's rest. Look at verse 29, please. Now we find the secret to genuine rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, 
for I am meek and lowly of heart. Now he pauses, puts that little parentheses in there. He said, you can learn to find rest because I am a, I am a kind and gentle teacher. He is a patient God. How many would agree with me that we have a serve a patient God? I want to tell you when I've been a Christian for almost 60 years, frankly, and I am still learning to pray. And God is still patient with me. I'll tell you one thing. Thank God he is meek and lowly of heart. If I had tried to teach someone for 60 years to do something and they still weren't doing it, I would have given up a long time ago. But Jesus isn't. He is meek and lowly of heart. Thank God. He is so loving to us. But he said, if you'll listen to me, and if, you'll, uh, if you will f- uh, listen to what I'm about to tell you, you'll find rest. You'll find rest. What does he say to do? He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Now, what is a yoke? A yoke is a wooden crossbar. It was carefully fashioned and uh, put together with a harness. It would fit across either one ox or several oxen. It was used to enable the oxen to carry a bigger load. Now, we are to learn to wear God's yoke. And when we learn to bear His yoke, the Bible says we learn God's rest. Now, there's nothing to earn in the Christian life, but there are certainly a lot of things to learn. We ought to learn something from God, not nothing to earn, but a lot to learn. To those who are weary, God says, I want you to put my yoke on you. Now, frankly, it seems like another one of those upside down things that we find in scripture. You know, the way to live is to die. The way to be exalted is to abase yourself. You know, one of those upside down things. And he said, if you want to learn to really rest, then put this instrument of work on you. What? I don't get this. What are you you talking about? He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put on this yoke. Now, telling someone who is beat down, telling someone who is fatigued, telling someone who is just, you know, they're just, they had a tough time, telling them to put on the yoke of God would seem like, man, that just seems like harsh. But here's the key. Look what it says. Take my yoke. Just circle that word my or underline it or somehow highlight it. Take my yoke. Put off your yoke and take my yoke. Because everybody has a yoke. Nobody just goes through this life uh, fancy free. We all have something we put on that we think is going to make us a better person or give us something that's going to make our day. But the key is my yoke. Your life is going to fatigue you. Your life will stress you. Your way will worry you. My way is a better way. Now, God's ways are good. Now, the thing about a yoke is it actually helps the oxen pull the load. It's not meant to be a harmful thing, although it is an instrument of work. It's actually a way to make us a better person and to get more accomplished. And that's what the lifestyle, that's what God's ways do. God's way makes us able to have a better life and to accomplish more. 
the laws of God, the, the commands of Scripture are not meant to hurt us, but to help us. And that's what John said in 1 John chapter 5. He said, by this we know, we, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and we keep His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not grievous. Did you want to know the most restful day of your life? The most restful day of your life and my life is when we commit to having a Bible-based lifestyle. The commands of God are not a yoke of hurt, but they are something that are a help to us. So many people think, you know what, I, well, I just couldn't get into church. Too many rules, too many restrictions, you know. To, I just need my, I need my space. I need my freedom. But do you know that real rest is not rest from serving God? It is finding rest in serving God. Too many people try church for a while and then drop out. Soon they're sitting and then they're soaking. And after a while, they're just souring. Some think, you know what, if I didn't have all these restraints, if I didn't have any responsibility, if I didn't go to church, if I didn't read the Bible, if I didn't have all the pressures of the morals of, you know, mean parents or pastors or the Bible or all that, you know, we could have so much fun in life. But the truth is, that's the most miserable life that there is. You know, this has been amazing kite flying weather this uh, past week. Let's imagine for a moment you take that kite, you know, and you go out there and you set that thing up there and you put that little string there and it just starts kind of go up and then you let out more, you let out more. Let's imagine for a few moments that kite that is connected by the string to the person holding it. Let's imagine for a moment that kite just says, you know what, I'm done. I am done with the restraints and the strings that are always just pulling me and pulling me. I'm going to be my own kite. I'm going to be my own person. And so the kite just snips that, wine, that little line there. What happens to the, line, to the kite? It just flutters and it just falls down to the ground. Because what the kite didn't realize, it was the restraints of the string that allowed it to soar higher. And the restraints that God puts in his word are like this amazing kite string that just allows us to soar and to have a better life. Nobody ever walked against the a lifestyle of God and became a better person. It doesn't work that way because it is that lifestyle that, Paul, that John said, it, there's no grief in this kind of a lifestyle. The commands of God give so much life. That's the kind of a life. And that's what Jesus was saying. He was saying, all you people are here. You're educated. You think you're smart. But he said, the truth is, even the children around here know more than you know because they are resting in God. And that's the way you find genuine peace. You don't find peace by kicking against the lifestyle. Just commit to living for God. Commit to having a Bible-based lifestyle and you'll find it is the best life you can have. Now, finally, let's notice the beauty of God's rest. Now we've seen the blueprint, how it works. How, what happens when we do that? Look at verse 30. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. The commands of God are easy. You know, sometimes if you see a, a handsome man or a lovely woman, you might say they are easy 
on the eyes. Easy on the eyes. And actually, this word uh, easy here is a, a word which means uh, light or gracious. And so what God is saying is that my yoke is actually very gracious. It's very loving. It is a yoke that is lined with love. When the oxen pushes against it, it's got like a cushion on it. It's the love of God. God's love is seen in all the things that he puts in Scripture. God didn't put all the commands of Scripture because he hates us or because he's just trying to make our life hard or mean or tough. They are wonderful principles of love. Because if you want to love your wife, you dwell with her. You treat her as a weaker vessel. You give honor to her. If you want to have a good marriage, you learn to respect your husband. And God said, these, these principles are such that will make you have a better life. They're not meant, these are yokes that actually have cushions with them. It's a beautiful thing. And that's what God said. It is a life of serving God. And it might be a little bit hard at first, maybe, but even if it was, when we get to heaven, we'll be thankful that we got saved and we served God. The Apostle Paul said it this way. He said, the light affliction, 2 Corinthians 4, 17, the light affliction that we go through, the light affliction, it's really light compared with the glory we get. I remember talking with a man and I mean, just to be frank, his life was a train wreck. I mean, it was a train wreck. He just, he was broke. He'd been divorced a couple of times. He was almost homeless. I mean, his life was just a train wreck. After listening to him for a few moments, I said, you know what you should do? You should get saved and you should give your life to Jesus and he can, he can make something of your life. And this fellow, listen, this fellow said this. He said, well, I, I don't think I could. It's too much to give up. I, I thought, too much to give up? Really? You have a, you, you're broke. You are, you don't have any kind of relationship and it's too much to give up? Folks, that's what a big liar the devil is. The devil constantly tells people that, you know, it, that it's too much to give up by serving God. But God never asks you to give anything up but your misery and your sin. That's what Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I mean, who wouldn't give up the dirt of their life for the diamonds of serving God? I mean, it would be ridiculous. God said, you can, you're, the, light, the burden I want to give you is a light burden. It is not a heavy thing. And frankly, even if we did give up something for Jesus... In the end, it would be worth it all for sure. Jesus Christ was a carpenter. And he never made a yoke that didn't fit perfectly. And the perfect fitting of the Lord Jesus Christ is that which will make my life a great life. A Bible-based lifestyle. All of my faith and trust in the Lord. Trusting him as my Lord and Savior. Living for him. That kind of a life is the best life we can have. It's a life of rest. You know, I think that one of the greatest things about heaven is the fact that it's just a place of rest. In Revelation 14, it says, I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, write, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. 
Yes, saith the Spirit, they rest from their labors. And even if I may not enjoy all the rest I would like here, thank God for those that are born again by the grace of God, heaven is a place of rest. Don't grieve for me, for now I'm free. I'm following the path God has laid, you see. I took his hand when I heard him call, and I turned my back, and I left it all. I could not stay another day to laugh, to love, to work, to play. Tasks left undone must stay that way. I found peace at the close of that day. A friendship shared, a laugh, a kiss. Oh, yes, these things I will miss too. Be not burdened with times of sorrow. I wish you the sunshine of tomorrow. My life's been full. I savored much. Good friends, good times, a loved one's touch. Perhaps my time seemed all too brief. Don't lengthen it now with undue grief. Lift up your hearts in peace to thee. God has given me rest. He has set me free. Rest. Rest in this life. Rest in the next life. It, can't, it just doesn't get any better than that. Resting in the Lord by serving him, having a Bible-based lifestyle, that's where true rest comes from. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Our heads are-